Hey friends, it's Eric here. Thanks for listening to the Building Us podcast. Hey, I want to invite you to follow me on my new show, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School, where I take a deeper dive into money and financial topics. You can find it wherever you listen to your podcast, Stuff About Money They Didn't Teach You in School. I hope to see you there. What's up, Building Us podcast listeners? This is Eric Garcia, certified financial planner. And before Dr. Matt Morris was my co-host on the Building Us podcast, he was my most frequent guest on the Plan Wisely with Eric Garcia podcast. And he sent out a newsletter recently via email where he talked about premarital counseling. And the email reminded me of an uh, earlier show that we did on that previous podcast where we talked about joining money in marriage. Obviously, if you're getting married, or if you're currently married, uh, this idea of joining accounts is, is sometimes controversial. So you're gonna get a chance to listen into Dr. Matt and I discuss this idea of joining money in marriage. Before we get to that though, if you like what you hear, Matt and I would love it if you could leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast, if it's on Apple or Google or Spotify or Stitcher, uh, just leave us a review, uh, leave us some honest feedback. That'll help people find us and. Get a chance to listen to the same quality content that you listen to every Thursday. Remember, you can find us online as well at www.building-us.com. We appreciate your loyalty. We appreciate you listening in every Thursday, and we hope you enjoy the show on Joining Money in Marriage. Take a listen. Welcome back to Plan Wisely with Eric Garcia. It is episode number four. I am John Jack Gay, joined by Eric Garcia. And today we're talking with Dr. Matt Morris as well about the best way to join money in marriage. Eric, why don't you kick us off? Glad to be here today. This could be a fun topic to talk about. It's potentially controversial. I think that <laughs> um, this may be a little bit more of a dangerous conversation to have than politics over Thanksgiving dinner. That's a high bar. And the reason it's controversial is that it's emotionally charged. And anytime you bring emotions into a conversation, you're going to have controversy. And it's a difficult topic to talk through, I find, with, um, with some folks. So the point of this podcast, look, we're not here to defend joint or separate bank accounts, but we're here to discuss some obstacles that couples have when they look at joining accounts. And ironically enough, these same obstacles that prevent people from joining are problem points or, or hot points for people who have joint accounts already. Hmm. So point is, we want to establish healthy dialogue about finances around finances that couples can get on the same page because we know that when they are on the same page, it results in happier relationships in the long run. And for that, that's why I've brought on Dr. Matt Morris to join us. Now, Dr. Matt is licensed as both a professional counselor and as a marriage and family therapist. He's a longtime professor of counseling at the University of Holy Cross in New Orleans, and he's very active in a private practice. Uh, so, Matt. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I look forward to uh, discussing the best way to join money in marriage. It's going to be a good one. Why couples counseling? Most of my work is with couples these days, and, you know, I just found it more interesting. Uh, mental health in general is interesting, for sure, but working with couples, working on the relationship, the thing that is kind of the bedrock of most of what we do, or if not all of what we do, uh, helping people improve their relationship just seemed really meaningful to me. As a couples counselor, I'm going to presume that you obviously believe in strong relationships. 
For sure, for sure. I want people to have the healthiest relationship that they can possibly have. Being connected in a very healthy and secure way with our spouse can be one of the most meaningful things we experience in this life. I've heard you say something along the lines in the past that, was it relationships are the guts of life? Is that? I say it all the time. Relationships are the guts of life. If our relationships are messed up, our life is messed up. And relationships are hard enough, right? Relationships are super hard. And then you throw in money, which is a controversial issue, which it kind of seems that money often is a, it's kind of a taboo to talk about. It almost seems off limits. Like we could talk about kids and living together, but don't touch my money. Why does it seem like money's often a, a more difficult part to integrate in relationships? I don't know that I know exactly. I know that if I were to ask either of you how much you make or how much is in your bank account right now, that question in and of itself makes us more uncomfortable than some other personal questions like, are you married or do you have children or do you plan to have children or who did you vote for? So it's, it's just societally um, where we're at. It's still a very uncomfortable conversation for us to have. So then when we're having it with our spouse, we would think it would be easy, but it's not. The difficulty that we experience in talking about money with our friends and family follows us right into the home. Yeah, so here's an interesting stat. 44% of people in relationships cite money as the number one cause of friction, fighting, and distress. So not yeah. kids, not sex, but money. We've often heard that, that financial and money can be the number one cause of divorce. And I think, um, you know, my wife and I got married two years ago, and we went to a counseling session before we got married. The person in the session had said to us, you're going to fight about the same three things. Over the course of your marriage, you're likely going to have the same three fights. And I make you bet one of them is going to be about money. So you guys are spot on. Dr. We know financial mismanagement is a predictor of marital dissatisfaction. For sure. So we're taking a very stressful topic already, money, and we're adding it into a difficult thing, relationships. And it's no doubt that it becomes a factor in the dissatisfaction of the relationship. Let's jump into our topic here. So I want to start with this question. So the question is, are separate bank accounts the secret to a happy relationship or should married couples join accounts for better or worse? These are actually some headlines that um, as I was reading up on the topic. Here's some actual headlines that came across. One was joint accounts make for happier couples. And another one is why couples should have separate bank accounts. So there seems to be a lot of information on opposite ends of why you should do separate and why you should do joint. Jump on Google and you'll find an article that back you no matter which opinion you have. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in some of those articles, here's some things that I read. One said regarding joint accounts, having to constantly explain yourself gets old real quick. <laughs> <laughs> right? Have you heard that before, Matt? For sure. But in particular with money, having to explain your purchases or why you want something that you do or what that money went to gets old real quick. And, and then people get childish about it. They start hiding it. They sneak and they, they lie. We all get a little bit defensive, no? just sketchy with, yeah. with then how we talk about money. And it's not even an issue if it's like separate accounts or joint accounts. It's just, it's just an issue, right? We, For sure. Yeah. So something else I read, it said having separate accounts, this one, this one kind of made me chuckle. It says having separate accounts proves that you trust each other. <laughs> that it's almost like a, <laughs> yeah, it, it almost sounds like if you really trust me, 
you're going to have a separate account. The implication is that people do secretive things if they have separate accounts. But I'm going to test your trust for me by having a... Yeah, like the true test of your integrity is to go unmonitored all the time. That's not a good test of integrity. It, it will lead to secrecy. Yeah. And, it, you know, just to jump in here, I, I hear these things all the time from the clients that I work with. I regularly ask people just kind of on a, on a curious whim, how do you guys manage your money? And I hear people fiercely defend both positions regularly. If you stick around to the end of the show, we're actually going to give you some, some real practical, uh, whether you have separate or joint accounts, we're going to give you some real practical tips to work through this conversation. Here's some interesting stats that I came across. It said, across all generations, 76% of couples share at least one bank account, including 79% of those who said that they were happy in their relationship. So 76% share at least one account, and of that, 79% are happy, 79% are happy, and then 63% of all couples shared at least one credit card, including 68% of those who are happy. So here we see people sharing accounts that are, ha- and the majority of them are happy who share at least one. But this doesn't mean that they have all shared accounts. It's just to have at least one shared account. We see that the majority of those people are happy. And here's something that's interesting. This I found this one kind of a, a, an interesting stat that the most common secrets across all generations are a secret bank account, 48%. So 48% of people. That's almost half. That's huge. That's crazy. So what that means is that you might have one joint account, but that you have a secret bank account for like secret purchases. <laughs> and I think that's, Matt, that's what you're talking about, the lack of accountability, right? We don't want that. Yeah. You could have separate bank accounts and they not be secret. This is talking, this stat specifically is talking about the frequency of secret bank accounts, that that is far more frequent than probably any of us realize. I find that fascinating. So let's look at some pros and cons. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but pros and cons of joint accounts. So here's some pros of joint accounts, right? If you come together, if you're a couple and you're married, uh, you're coming together for a reason, right? Some, and, and Matt, you could attest to this, and I don't think there needs to be much proof here, but if you decide to get married, it means you share some common vision or some kind of goal in life. So joining accounts to help you reach that goal or that that objective makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense just in the sense of if you and I were to go into business together, we would have probably a joint business account to help us meet the goals of the business. So, So just for relationships, for family, I mean, there's an aspect of family that's business to meet the goals of the family business, you probably would uh, enjoin yourself in an account. And it's, it's convenient too, right? Very convenient. I got married a long time ago. So in the day that I got married, it was the one way to easily share money. Today, there are lots of ways to share money between couples. So while a joint account makes things much easier and very easy, admittedly today, there are other options. Some of the cons against uh, joint accounts are the perceived or true loss of independence, maybe. Entering with unequal accounts, I make more money than my spouse and we're entering into with you know uneven incomes. Uh, there's, you know, in our society, in our culture, divorce is high, there's a high divorce rate. So there's always that risk of a messy breakup, which finances can complicate that. 
you kind of alluded to this already, Matt, when we talk about accounts, are, are we talking about checking accounts? Are we talking about savings accounts? Are we talking about operating accounts? What about PayPal, right? You can almost like do business in PayPal. Someone can pay you and you have your PayPal credits and you can buy things and you think that you have joint accounts and all of a sudden you find out that, you know, someone's got a not necessarily secret PayPal account, but they're buying and selling things for the kids out of their PayPal account that never hit your normal checking account. The lack of transparency is there. So that's an important part is to know all those places where money is coming in and out. In addition, one we haven't really hit on yet is our separate debt accounts, separate credit card accounts or separate credit accounts. Spouses might not know each other's full credit history or debt accumulation or the current amount of revolving debt. Somebody's really got to keep a close eye on that and be transparent about that for that to be joint. I can jump in here, Matt, because I can tell you that when my wife and I got together, we still have separate accounts because when we got together, she had really good credit and I had really bad credit. So we kept the accounts separate and we're transparent about it with each other. Neither one of us is hiding money from the other one. But until I'm able to get my credit back up to where it needs to be, we're not going to merge the accounts because she doesn't want to take the ding to her credit score. So that's interesting. You both bring up the second and third uh, most common financial secrets. The second is significant credit card debt that one or the people in the relationship is hiding. And then the third is a bad credit score that someone's hiding. And when you get legally married, you're financially married as well. And so you can talk about having joint and separate, but unless you take steps to keep it really separate, it eventually joins on some level. And so there's an aspect of this about joining and separate, but there's a larger aspect that I think we're going to get to about, Jag, as you mentioned, transparency, just yeah. being able to let each other know about all of this, being on the same page, even though the account numbers are different. And for me, because my wife is really, really good with money and budgeting, and, and Eric, you and I have talked about this in previous episodes, and I'm really bad at budgeting and money. So as much as it pains me to do it and it becomes this task every weekend that I dread, every weekend my wife and I sit down, we look at a, a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet, what went in, what's going out, what comes up to spend, and she's meticulous about it. And, and I really fought her in the beginning of it, but now that I've seen the benefit of it, okay, well, you've got this trip coming up, so you've got to set aside money for this. And because she's kind of you know, broken me as a wild horse or whipped me into shape or whatever analogy you want to use, I've really come to embrace it and say, okay, this is, you know, part of a marriage. It's an area that I have a weakness and you have a strength. So I'm going to let you take the lead on this. I think that's key is recognizing personality types, particularly when it comes to managing money. Not everyone has to become a, an accountant, CPA or financial planner and, and have to learn every aspect, but everyone needs to be engaged in money in and money out and decisions or the bigger decisions need to be made uh, jointly. So I think that's important. So let's jump into the obstacles that keep people from merging accounts. I'm a fan of merging joint accounts. I'll just, I'll just come out and say it. I think there's a lot of not just convenience, but I think that from particularly from a financial planning standpoint, when I sit with couples and they have a shared vision for retirement or purchasing something in the future, it makes a lot of sense to pool resources together as opposed to having resources separate. But what's interesting is I was, as I was reading and prepping for the show, I realized that the obstacles that keep people from joining accounts are hot points or points of contention with couples who have joint accounts already. Hmm. So 
that's why I'm glad to have Matt here. Maybe Matt can give us some good uh, guidance on having these conversations with our spouses and, and come to some healthy resolution on them. So let's let's jump right into this. The first obstacle of merging accounts is this idea of fierce independence. I want to do uh, what I want to do when I want to do it. I don't want to be accountable to anybody. Matt, do you see that as you talk to people? I do in a couple of ways. I mean, people are getting married later in life than they have in previous generations. Millennials are marrying later and marrying less frequent, which often means just kind of practically that they've been out in the workforce earning an income and the income is being deposited into their own bank account. And so there's already this kind of financial independence growing of I earn this money, it's my money to budget and spend. And as it flows into my account, I'm accountable for how I spend that money. Not that anybody's overspending necessarily or wasting money or anything like that. It's just they've been used to the financial independence of I earned it, it's flowing into my account, and I spend it as I want. So when that couple come together, they're already used to this way of spending money separately. So it's not that they're not joining accounts because they don't trust each other or because they're like personality fiercely independent. It's just that practically they have been independent. The second aspect, I think, of this independence, though, is this this kind of more deeper identity issue about I'm on my own or I can take care of myself or I'm not dependent on anybody else or my family handled money in a way that taught me not to rely on anybody else or to always watch my own back. And so there's kind of some stuff there from their family of origin or from their earlier years that stuck them with this independent streak to always kind of be hedging their bets. And that's a different kind of independence than this practical independence Mm -hmm. of I've just been making my money. I spend it as I want. And I do see both of those aspects show up in counseling all the time. So it's something deeper. It's not just what you see on the surface. There could be something deeper that would actually be good to have a discussion with. Sometimes it's shallow in the sense of we had two accounts when we got married, we just kept them. We just send each other money by Venmo. Sometimes it is deeper of I need to make sure that I always have a back door or always have an out or I always have a way to care for myself. That's a deeper issue. Matt, it sounds like you're talking about financial independence versus psychological independence in a way. Yeah, and I would just say financial practical independence versus independent as identity. And I think, you know, you're preaching to the choir with me. I'll be 39 this month, so I'm a borderline millennial. We got married later. I was 36. My wife was 38. And we were both established in our careers. And we had jobs and income. And, you know, when we were doing our wedding registry to the point where we already both had our own sets of silverware. (laughs) You know, it's not like we're getting married at 22 and (laughs) starting out. It's a matter of we each had our own lives and we had to navigate that in terms of finances, but also in terms of possessions and career, how that all would merge together. So your point is certainly well taken. Yeah, that's very different than myself getting married in my early 20s, you know, and not having any silverware and not having much credit (laughs) history to merge and certainly no money to merge. It's very different than what most people are experiencing today, getting married in their later 20s and 30s. My wife and I got married. I was 21 by like four or five months when we got married. And, and she reminds me all the time, 
I, I say that to say I was really young. You got to have champagne at the wedding. I did. Like I could almost almost couldn't even drink at my own wedding. Oh come on, you guys are in New Orleans. You guys are you guys baby bottles have more than just yeah. milk in them. It's okay. She was she reminds me all the time that our current checking account was her original checking account at the old Hibernia. Hmm. And so when we got married, we just used her account, just added my name to it. And Hibernia went to Capital One. That's the same account that we've been using for 19 years. And she reminds me all the time how inexperienced I was financially that I still use her checking account. And look where you are now, Eric. You've totally come around. I hope I didn't lose any credibility with that statement. So (laughs) next, next obstacle, keeping people from joining accounts is this idea of control. And there might be an element of that in the independent side where I want to control the finances the way I want to control the finances. One partner may want to have more control than the other. Matt, how, how do you see that? Yeah, I see that show up in a couple of different ways. I mean, just thinking about that money is power in a lot of circumstances, and whoever has more money generally does have more power and control. It shows up in that way, for sure. It also shows up in kind of what we were talking about previously of not wanting to be controlled or my spending decisions, not wanting to be, uh, have to be explained. But I also see sometimes people use the term control, like my spouse doesn't want to be controlled or he's controlling or she's controlling. Sometimes they use that phrase to mean something deeper than that. And so sometimes control is kind of one of those words that's like the tip of an iceberg. It's like the thing that's sticking out that people are saying that people are paying attention to. But underneath the surface, it's really about, again, self-protection or will you take advantage of me or will you exploit me or something like that, that people are a little bit more worried about and express it as control. So not to be too deep on this subject, but it's another example where it could be that the spouse just needs to have more access to their own money, kind of an easy fix, or it could be a really a, a more challenging conversation about feeling exploited in the relationship and needing to gain back some control. So it can range from like that deep to that shallow. Yeah. And I was listening to uh, um, another podcast and they were talking about this one topic and it seemed not so much that one spouse wanted to exert control, but it was the other spouse didn't want to feel controlled. So a little bit of a different dynamic. Yeah, for sure. There are situations and and I'm sure people will listen to this episode and and think, no, I'm legitimately being financially controlled by my spouse. (laughs) Legitimately. (laughs) Uh, But more often than not, one spouse is trying to be very, very generous and giving or trying to be very free or transparent with the finances. And the other one, the, the other spouse still feels controlled or uh, feels controlled by the spouse. And that might relate to a former or or deeper issue. Yeah, this particular conversation was one spouse was wanting to, they made more money and they wanted to really help their spouse with student loan debt that they had, but the other one didn't want to feel, and this goes back to independence, feel dependent on her husband. And there was a sense of control there as well that she didn't want to feel like he had it wasn't leverage over her, but she was just kind of independent. So a lot of these dynamics going on uh, all at the same time. Yeah. And it's one of those feelings sometimes people feel and don't even know why they feel it or can't really articulate or explain why they feel it. They just feel it. So this leads us to the next obstacle. And I think we've actually touched on this is income disparity that oftentimes you have in a relationship. One spouse makes more money 
than the other spouse. Or one spouse may stay at home and not earn an actual income. So then there's this issue of, I make more money. Maybe I don't want to join my finances. It's going to be inequitable or unequitable. Inequitable? Is that... Uh, I think it's inequitable. That's, that sounds right to Inequitable me. sounds inequitable. And I'm good with dollars and money, not words. Words are not my, um, my tools. But this income disparity could cause problems for people to join their finances. I don't think that that was traditionally a reason for separate accounts. I think that in bygone days when typically there would be a stay-at-home spouse and the other person earning money, obviously there would be an income disparity that didn't prevent people from having separate accounts. But today, I do think that that's more of a common concern, and it works both ways. I want to keep my money separate from you because I earn so much more and I want to protect some of it, and it also works the other way is I want to keep my money separate from you because I earn so much less than you do, and I want to make sure that I have an equitable spending ability in the relationship. Yeah, another um, obstacle is guilt avoidance. Like, I want to avoid feeling guilty for certain purchases. This kind of goes back to the idea of of independence as well to a certain degree. But like, I want to go buy a pair of $200 shoes and I don't want you to, you know, make me feel guilty about it. So I just want to have my own own account. Yes, I think that comes up regularly. (laughs) <laughs> Particularly once you start having some money and you you want to buy some things that you probably don't really need or have to have. And so they're discretionary purposes already. So there could be some guilt associated with the purchase anyway. You already have some shoes. You already have a coat, whatever it is. But I don't want to have to address that. So if that doesn't show up on the statement, I can avoid the guilt. Or couples. you can have a secret account. Secret account. Another All way right. that couples kind of do this, though, is by cash. Just carrying and using cash. All right, what, what is cash? Do, do, do places accept cash? I've been to places that don't even accept <laughs> cash anymore. I've heard of it, yes, <laughs> of cash. Another big reason that people don't want to join their accounts, and we've, seen, we've, we've touched on this, is that divorce is such a, a big thing in our culture. And there is this fear of split up, particularly if there's that income disparity and you have more assets and you bring into the relationship and this idea of, oh my gosh, what if we get divorced? I just gave away half my assets. Uh, and I find that to be a big one. For sure. And a person might be wise to have separate accounts if they've been through a divorce recently or a breakup recently that really did cost them or in some way they really were kind of hung out to dry or exploited financially in the divorce. They might be wise to have some separate money that's only accessible to them so that they can protect themselves in the event that they need to exit the relationship again. I've advocated professionally at times for clients to have a separate account so that they can protect themselves financially given a divorce history or divorce uh, likelihood. I find it is such a, a nuanced conversation that there's not one piece of advice. There's not a silver bullet that solves everyone's problems. Do this or don't do that. But, um, having the conversation is really important to bring out some of these, these issues so that you can have ultimate success. The last obstacle that we're going to talk about here is debt disparity. And I've had the conversation with a lot of people that they either feel guilty bringing in so much debt into a marriage relationship, or they don't want to take on their spouse's debt for various reasons. So that prevents them from merging accounts. And as we talked about, there may be some reasons not to always join accounts. But the way I see it is if you're getting married and you have a joint common vision 
or some life objectives that you want to meet. And I make more money than you, but you have more debt. It makes a lot of sense for us to pool our resources together and knock out that debt, right? Because now that debt's, for all intents and purposes, my debt as well, or it's going to prevent me from reaching some common goal that we have. Yeah. And just thinking about that, the debt perspective and kind of uh, what's happening today with people getting married later, having income already, also sometimes or many times having student debt coming into the relationship, uh, having separate accounts to protect each other from those things might make sense initially. If a couple decides to have separate accounts in the beginning of their marriage and then choose to join those accounts later, that's okay. That can be a process of moving towards being more joint financially after they've knocked out debt together, for instance, or enough time has passed that they've protected each other enough from the debt or the credit history. That can make sense. I think that as we kind of talk about these obstacles, whether you have joint accounts or separate accounts, I think these are all issues that every couple needs to talk through uh, regarding their money. And the tip that I think is so important, I know I know Matt advocates as well, and you've heard us say it multiple times throughout this podcast already, is transparency. It's whether you have joint or separate accounts, it's having the discussion about what you have and being transparent about what you spend. Right. It's the secrecy that really kills. So, so if I could zoom out for just a second and say what I'm really trying as a couples therapist, what I'm really trying to promote with all of my couples is a, a deep sense of abiding connection and a deep sense of security. I know that you're there for me. I know that you're there with me and I feel really connected to you. So any kind of secret, any kind of hidden stuff, any kind of uh, suspicion, lie, paranoia ends up eroding that connection and eroding that feeling of safety and security. Financial transparency is a way to kind of just bring us all back on the same page of this is what we have, this is where we're going, this is where we're at, and really helping to promote that sense of security. Part of that transparency, and as, as you just communicated here as well, is, is to communicate often. Yes. And I regularly talk to couples that say we're, we have communication problems or we're bad at communicating. And I think, wow, I really understood that. As you said that you communicate just fine with me. I got you. That was clear. I got it. But all of us seem to have communication issues when we're talking about really difficult things for us. Yeah. So some of us are good at talking about money. Many of us aren't. We just weren't raised that way. Our culture doesn't support that. And so for a lot of couples, just talking well about money is the initial challenge. And it helps bringing in someone into the conversation to maybe facilitate that conversation, particularly if there's already high emotions on either end to bring in someone like yourself. That outside perspective or professional can certainly go a long way. Yeah, that's what my couples regularly tell me is that there's something different about just talking about this difficult subject at home versus talking about it through me in the office with me present. It's kind of like, they're talking to each other, but they're looking at me while they do it. And somehow, magically, that makes it go better. They appreciate it. You're like R2-D2. You like, you like you clean up the conversation and make people who are you know, communicating differently. I think I definitely, I'm not there to defend myself. I'm there to understand them. And in doing that, I help them understand each other better. Yeah. I mean, we can talk so much more on this topic, but I know we're, we are up against the clock here. 
But Matt, I just appreciate you coming out and offering your, your wisdom and your expertise on this topic here. Thanks for having me, and you're more than welcome. As you said, Eric, we are running a little bit low on time. We're running a little bit behind here today. But before we go, I'm going to ask Matt any closing thoughts that you have as far as couples navigating this financial stuff from your perspective. Sure, a couple of thoughts. As we said before, relationships are hard anyway. Talking about money is difficult for most anyway. So number one, I would say for all couples, you're not going to get this right every time. You don't have to worry about getting it right every time, but keep trying, keep trying, keep going back to each other and trying to get better at this. And over the years, as we can probably all attest, it gets easier, it gets better. So just stick with that. And number two, remember that sense of security that you want to feel in the relationship and really attend to how are we managing our money in a way that promotes that sense of security or in a way that erodes that sense of security. So it's not really a question about joint or separate accounts. It's much more of a sense of, I trust you. I know you got my back. I know you're there for me, even in our finances. Wise words for anybody in any situation. And Matt, if somebody wants to contact you, if there's a couple listening that needs a little bit of extra help, wants to come in and chat, what are the best ways to reach you? Yeah, I'm in New Orleans. Probably the best way to reach me is through my website, which is drmattmorris.com. All of our contact information is there as well as ways to schedule appointments. And Eric, any closing thoughts from you as we wrap this up? One really important closing thought. So if you haven't yet, you got to read my ebook, Five Pillars to Financial Security, A Guide to Managing Your Money Wisely. The first pillar is know where your money is and where it's going. That's that idea of, of becoming aware of how you spend your money. And I think that this is super important when we're talking about a relationship here with couples is know where your money is and where it's going. That's transparency. It's transparency and accountability. Uh, so uh, again, these obstacles, like Matt said, whether it's joint or separate, the key really is transparency. It's being accountable to not necessarily another individual, but being accountable to some goal that you set together commonly. And Eric, what are the best ways for somebody to reach out to you if they need help on the financial side? Yeah, same thing like Matt. You can find me on my website, wwwplan wisely.com and we will include links to the ebook and links to Matt's contact information in the show notes. Excellent. Pleasure talking to both of you. Enjoy your holidays. And Eric, we'll talk to you in January. Sounds good. Take care, Jack. Thank you. Dr. Matt Morris maintains an active private practice for couples and families in the greater New Orleans area. To learn more about his work, visit drmattmorris.com. Eric Garcia can be found online at plan-wisely.com. His branch office is located in New Orleans, Louisiana. The branch phone number is 504-218-5479. Securities offered through Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through New Century Financial Group, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Insurance services offered through Garcia Financial Group, LLC. Entities listed are not affiliated.